I wish I could put my fist through this whole lousy beautiful town. Hello and welcome to Lousy Beautiful Town, a podcast where we like to scream about Star Wars and put our fists through things. I'm your host, Abby, and I'm joined by your uh, now official Afristan co-host, Jess. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Jess loves Afra now. Finally. Not that I didn't love the idea of her before, but now I know her and love her. Yeah, you just never read the comics. I know I'm the worst. Anyway, Jess, you should read the comics now <laughs> um, by purchasing them. <laughs> you should read the comics. Um, they're very goofy and silly, and they're just I really have, good. I have all of them up to a certain point. I don't think I have like the last couple issues, but I have like all of them and the Darth Vader ones too. So there's no excuse mm-hmm. for me. I have them. I just yeah. haven't read them. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I haven't caught up in a long time, so I'll have to do that. But I'm super stoked. The Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're working on getting Sarah Kuhn on the podcast to talk about yeah. the Afro audio drama that came out today, July 21st. Just <laughs> um, kind of where my, my newfound Afro fandom came from. <laughs> today, literally today, <laughs> I became an Afro stan. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's in, we're working on that, working out details and stuff. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to try to read all the Afro comics before that. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I can What if she's just like, I'll, I can come on next week and next week only. Oh God. <laughs> well, this week is Comic-Con, so I have a feeling she's not going to be able to come um, on next week. She's going to be busy. She's promoting a lot of stuff right now too. So yeah, um, I told her Where's I was comes- like, Okay. No, you go ahead. I was gonna say I told her I told her I know you're promoting stuff. No rush. We're we'll be here and we're really yeah. delayed on it and stuff like yeah. that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Yeah. I was gonna say worse comes to worse, just read the Wikipedia article. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well also because you are familiar with Afra, I feel like yeah. you're probably coming into this with a different perspective. And then I'm obviously I've never I don't know anything about her other than she's a disaster lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the only, and that's from Jacqueline. Yep. <laughs> um, so like me being introduced to Afra like through the audio drama, like is kind of different. So I felt like, okay, that's actually a good thing to have like mm-hmm. those two different perspectives. Um, yeah, that'll be cool. So yeah. to, talk, to talk about it that way then. Yeah, I've never, yeah. um, listened to an audio drama before. Oh my God. It's so good. I've like, I've, listened, <laughs> I've obviously listened to audio books, yeah. but that's very different from an audio drama. Um, so I'm kind of excited. Yeah. I, I didn't, we didn't, I didn't listen to the Dooku one. I Mm -hmm. kind of forgot about it. I requested it from the library and it just never came. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I listened um, to the rogue pod episode about it. So yeah, that counts. Um, I don't know if I will listen to it at this point. But the this one is good. Me no, no. Um, <laughs> well, yes, yes, both. <laughs> um, no, this one is very good so far. I don't really care for the yeah. voice actor that does Maz Kanata. I feel it. I, I was. I didn't realize it was her until they were like Maz Kanata, and I was like, oh, that's supposed to be Maz Kanata, but whatever. Oh. Um, but whoever voices after, I can't remember who it is right now. Um, she does a really good job. It's fun. It's funny. Nice. It's good. Well, I'm stoked. Maybe I'll start that this weekend because 
Crease it's short too. Work. It's only so. it's it's only a few hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pop that on and hopefully you know get laundry done or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> um. In other publishing news, um, Poe Dameron Freefall by Alex Segura is available for pre-order, which is exciting. It is out on August 4th, so two weeks from now. Yeah, I think there's an excerpt up on yeah, I think. Yeah, I didn't read it. Um, I didn't either. I, just because <laughs> my brain is broken and I haven't done anything. So. No. Um, and the, uh, it's my favorite. There's a new Thrawn book. <laughs> Thrawn, it's a new Thrawn is- trilogy. <laughs> No! <laughs> I know we it's talked about this trilogy. a long ass time ago when like a ton of book news came out when I don't even remember what it was something some panel <laughs> somewhere <laughs> some some a long time ago but yeah It's what a whole was trilogy for? Was that for, was that Comic-Con last year? I don't know, maybe God damn. Anyway. Was last year really a thing? <laughs> I don't know. Time is fake. Um, but yeah, this is the first. I think it's the first book coming out for the new Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy. I, I, the title really bothers me because there's two colons. <laughs> uh-huh. It's Thrawn Ascendancy. Chaos Rising. By yeah. Timothy Zahn. I wish there was a comma there instead of a colon. Because it's really bothering I me. I hate it. Oh, so yeah, I'll uh, read it because Thrawn is my blue daddy. It's out <laughs> September 1st. Yeah. Huzzah. SC is excited for sure. Well, you know, the only thing that matters is SC's happiness, so the Thrawn book can stay. Yeah. Um, you need to fix I, the however, situation, though. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> I, however, will admire SC's happiness from afar and hate the Thrawn book. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, at this point, it's a it's a principle. Speaking of terrible books, um, oh. uh, Book Wars Pods episode on Black Spire is coming out this week. Oh <laughs> Lord! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you read that? No. Okay, don't read it. Not recommended. Yeah. Don't waste your time. I went on Rebel Dispatch to talk about it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In case y'all don't remember uh, Black Spire, we initially we did a book giveaway um, (laughs) a while back. We were giving away that. And what was the other one by Zoraida Cordova? Oh, was it by Zoraida? Yeah. Crush of Fate, which I still haven't read yet. I suck. I I've totally forgot about it. Star Wars books confuse me. I don't know why. I just like can't keep them straight. Like when they're coming out. Yeah, but uh, we were initially going to give away both of those books, and then Delilah S. Dawson exists, and (laughs) (laughs) And, um... (laughs) so uh, we decided not to give away Black Spire anymore because we were like, fuck you, we don't want to promote your shit, so yeah. Terrible, but I highly recommend you go, I I, I mean, obviously I haven't listened to Book Wars pod episode on Black Spire yet because... It's not out yet. <laughs> um, but Kate Sador was doing a thread while reading it and her reactions to the, some of the racist shit that 
was put in that book about Cardinal. She didn't even go like fully into all the stuff about Vi, but there's some of it there. There's a taste of it there. It was just like reminding me how horrible that book was and like how fucking racist. And it was, so it was just like, oh my God, I can't wait to hear Kate scream about this book. <laughs> <laughs> it will be an experience. Yeah, and Rob is going to be a guest. Oh, Lauren <laughs> Rob, smooth like oh, me. <laughs> Which is going to be amazing. <laughs> I can't fucking wait. Yeah. Uh, in big, big news, um, there's going to be a Bad Batch TV show. In D- on Disney Plus 2021, it's animated and it will follow the Bad Batch in the wake of Order 66 and the early days of the Empire. <sighs> <laughs> exasperated sigh I we like sad clone content yeah. um, and I think at the end of the day we did really enjoy the Bad Batch arc mm-hmm. um, based on our conversations about it you can go listen to them a few episodes I think it's sad and horny part one yeah maybe which is the one that we were like thirsty for uh, or was the other one? <laughs> I think it was. Was it tech? Right? We're like, yeah, it's yeah. tech. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> we were like he does a whole bunch of kinky shit. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Yeah. I was. I was. That's literally when this was announced. That's the only thing I thought of was like, which clone yeah. were we thirsty for? That's yeah. all that matters. <laughs> um. I mean, I'll probably give it a shot. It's just. I'm fucking so Dave tired. It's just I'm so tired. To produce something, and it's like, dude, like, get you know what? someone else to do something. And you know what? It is just like Dave to look at all of the characters that he could bring back to create more stories about, and he doesn't pick fives. Just fucking like him. Yeah, well, why would he? He's upset. Vibes <laughs> had a love child with his wife named Amanda. Named Amanda. <laughs> the lore is growing, y'all. <laughs> Someone's um, going to tell Dave Filoni that some fucking podcast out there called Lousy Beautiful Town has made up like a fanfic about his wife having an affair <laughs> with five. With clone. <laughs> the animated clone trooper. <laughs> you know what? There are Star Wars fans who out there who've done worse, <laughs> right? I was gonna say I'm sure there are weirder things, but oh yeah, yeah. Um, in case y'all don't understand that reference, um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago we streamed me playing Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator, uh, on our Discord, which we opened to non patrons too, um, and. We made you can you can create your daddy to seduce all the other daddies in the neighborhood, and so we modeled our daddy after fives. So, and he's a single dad with a daughter, a teenage daughter named Amanda. Yep. Yeah. She's super cute, and we love her. Mm-hmm. So, and fives is a communist. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he's in a communist ska band. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> um, we'll probably stream more of that sometime soon. Um. So be on the lookout for that. It's fun and goofy and stupid, which is something that we need right now. Um, But yeah, Bad Batch TV show. I keep seeing people be like, I wish it was the Bad Bitch TV show. And I'm like, (laughs) you know what, same. Um, Um, I think Katrina Dennis is going to, uh, because I think um, her universe came out with a Bad Batch t-shirt. I think Katrina (laughs) is going to make a Bad Bitch one and put Ventress (laughs) on it because... Katrina is Yay. a huge fan. <laughs> and she's Yay. like, what the fuck? Why? Why? <laughs> right. 
I mean, I think the 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 one intriguing thing is the you know follows a bunch of clones in the wake of Order Order sixty six in the early days of the Empire. I think that's definitely an interesting storyline to explore. Do I think it might be better suited to something like comics? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And do I think that other people aside from Dave Filoni deserve to be able to tell stories? You fucking bitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So also like, I don't know. I feel like the bad batch is an interesting choice for that storyline because they were already kind of outcasts anyway. So it's not like yeah. they're having as much of an existential crisis as maybe some of the other clones would have been. I mean, I, I'm sure they could explore that, but like, mm-hmm. well, do you, like, do you think that they have, like they're at least if they're do you think since they're quote unquote malfunctioned or whatever yeah. that their chip is too possibly and that maybe order well, 66 doesn't <laughs> kick in for them i feel like that is the implication with them getting a tv show in this timeline because yeah you know like i don't feel like Lucasfilm and Disney Plus would green light a show where it's like the it's perspective of the bad guys and it's a, a animated show. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They could make it a whole redemption theme where they figure shit out and they break away from that. But I don't. I feel like we have already had we already had that with fives. Like, why would you tell that story again? So right. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I'm going to watch this show is because there's going to be sad clone content and because tech is there and Mm. we need more ammunition for our thirst so yeah (laughs) we thirst over too many men on this podcast i know i'm sorry my fault (laughs) yeah straight person (laughs) i posted on twitter what is your most controversial lousy beautiful town opinion um and i believe it was emma who said too much mall fucking yeah Excuse me, <laughs> Emma. <laughs> and then Dandy said, "Not enough mall fucking." So, what is the truth? You know, I don't know if we'll please, ever know. Please note that there are many women in the Star Wars universe that I would like to fuck. It's not just mall and fives and tech. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't even think of that like into fives because <laughs> his one true love is Filoni's wife. <laughs> And I don't want to mess with that. Oh, Can't mess with true god. love, BB. Oh my god. Yeah. So that's that. Um, in other news, Han Solo is bisexual, which <laughs> we've been new. Uh, but somebody had posted something about Han being bi, and then uh, Daniel Jose Holder uh, quote tweeted it and was like, Yes, this is true. <laughs> but I mean, he doesn't have the power to make that official, but we're going to pretend like he does. Yeah. Yeah. He's a Star Wars content creator. Yeah. yeah. He did that. Yeah. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> Han Solo is a That's what he is. Han Solo is a disaster by. And Leia is a distinguished by. And so that's why they work so well together. God. Yeah. Um, I saw somebody make a video. I think DJO quote tweeted this too, but someone made a video and it's like a, a lot, all these like um, clips of Han and the bi flag <laughs> colors are like <laughs> a filter across the video. <laughs> yes. Most excellent. Han and Leia are bisexual. Luke is gay. All your faves are gay, except I don't claim Kylo Ren. He's straight. 
Uh, so I'm a Kylux fan. Uh, I feel like <laughs> I have nothing against Kylux. I just think Kylo Ren is aggressively straight. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Hux's There's... biggest frustration is trying to get him to admit. <laughs> Am I Hux? Oh God, I hate you. I am <laughs> do not do not parallel me with Kylo Ren. That is just rude <laughs> on many levels. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. There's a new trend on TikTok right now using the song um, Video Killed the Radio Star. And so, like, it's people, like, posting pictures of, like, what's the video and what's the radio star? Like, I saw one that was, the video was Queen Elizabeth II and the radio star was Princess Diana. Um, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> I was oh, like, oh, my God. are they wrong? Um, I, I, it might even be too soon for that. You know? <laughs> like, um, but somebody, somebody posted one where it was like, uh, Disney was the video, uh, and then the radio star was Kylo Ren, and I was like, die mad about it. <laughs> Dead. Sorry, not sorry. Mm-mm. So yeah, Han is by. End of story. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, it's been a fucking rough week. Yeah. This past week is almost like the entirety of 2020 so far, in that it is long and never ending and a hellscape. Yeah. Um. On July 12th, we found out that uh, the the body that was found uh, in that lake was confirmed to be Naya Rivera, and she passed away. That was hard for me as a former Glee fan. Um, And then July 13th, we found out that Grant Imahara passed away from a brain aneurysm. And that fucking sucked. Yeah. That That was was a rough one. Yeah. Yeah. I just met him recently, too. Really? Oddly enough, at one of Sarah Kuhn's book launches. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just I recently met him and he was just like the most like wonderfully kind, funny person. And God, it's just like. Why are all the good ones taken so early? Fucking sucks. He was only 49. Yeah, I was sitting. Chris and I were sitting at the table. I think we had just like either started or finished eating dinner. Um, And I just went. Oh, no. And he asked what happened. And I was like, you know, Grant from, you know, among many things, but Mythbusters. And Chris goes, Imahara, what happened? And he was heartbroken. That was a rough night in the uh, Chris and Abby household. <laughs> yeah. He actually is part of the Star Wars family, too, because yeah. he worked for ILM um, on the prequels. He did a lot of... Uh, uh, modeling work and then yeah. he he did some stuff with r2 as well he was an engineer so he did a lot of like robotic stuff in general and he just made a a, a baby yoda that was like fully functional recently yeah. like and within the past three months <laughs> yeah it's fucking heartbreaking it is so heartbreaking it, it's um, weird like celebrity death is always weird yeah because um, you like I don't know as someone obviously who doesn't know the person personally like you just get a sense of who they are based on their work or like how they are with like press 
um, or just like anecdotal like stories from their actual friends or people that have encountered them. And mm-hmm. I feel like Grant just like overwhelmingly everybody was just like he was just a wonderful human being, like kindest, like nicest person you'll ever meet type of thing. Um, And it's weird, like mm-hmm. I feel like his death just hit me really hard because he was like one of those people that was like super, I don't know, like prominent in my formative years. and. Yeah. Our friend Maya said it really well in a thread on Twitter that he kind of inhabited that geeky Asian stereotype, Mm -hmm. but he didn't apologize for it and he made Mm -hmm. it okay. You know what I mean? Like he, he made it like a real human thing to be like, Mm -hmm. he just embodied that like persona and was just unapologetic about it. And he was like, yeah, it's fine. It's, it's cool to be a nerd. And then he was on fucking Mythbusters, And that was like, Oh, it's cool to be a nerd. That's cool. And he, you know, he did other, you know, he did other things. He made the, he made Jeff the robot for Craig Ferguson's late, late <laughs> show. Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I feel like Grant Yamahara and um, Anthony Bourdain have like hit me mm-hmm. the hardest. Because Anthony Bourdain was, like, one of those other people that just, like, I watched his show all the time. Like, I wanted to mm-hmm. be him. Like, I love food. I love traveling. Like, he was a huge inspiration to me, like, when I went to Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went there multiple times because it was just, yeah. like, I don't know. Like, just the way that he interacted with people and the way that he viewed the world was so real. And it's, yeah, like, fuck. Whenever Chris and I need like something comforting to watch, we watch the uh, um, Manila episode of why can't I fucking think of the show's name? Two of them. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like I no can't. reservations, and then I forget what the other one is called. Parts unknown. Yeah, parts unknown. Thank you. Um, I think it's parts unknown. That whatever it's whatever one is on American Netflix. <laughs> Um, but we watched the Manila episode a lot because <clears throat> he does such a good, he did such a good job of like showcasing what different places actually looked like, but never went into it. Like he was some like white savior or anything yeah. like that. Like I'm going to show the white people your food and you're going to love it and stuff like that. He just did. Cause he fucking loved food and people. I n- I'll never forget the episode that he did on LA. Mm. Because most of the time when people do like food episodes on LA, it's like, oh, you know, tacos and street food. And I don't know. There's always like a weird food scene because there's, I feel like the street food is where it's at. (laughs) And like the Mexican food is where it's at. And there's a ton. Mm. You can find every type of Asian food here that you want and for super cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's places like, I don't know fancy places too that people always talk about but um he went to koreatown Mm. and he met up with a korean chef and basically like they you know they talked about like the kogi um uh taco truck Mm -hmm. um and then they went to sizzler and they talked about like the korean american like la food culture of like Korean American kids that grew up here in LA, mm-hmm. like with immigrant parents, and like that were, you know, in generally like not very well off, like monetarily. And it was just like a, 
it was such a refreshing take <laughs> on mm-hmm. the food scene here. I was like, yes, this is like real. Like this is real Asian American LA culture. Like, yeah. So it was, I don't know. He like just found those niches and I'm really, really sad that he's gone. And Grant also just, yeah. I don't know. Just in the nerd world, he just embodied this, the nerd, I feel like nerdy, especially Asian dudes. I hate to say this and hate to generalize, but there's this whole like men's men's rights, Asian, Mm. you know, movement or whatever. But I just feel like, it's so common to come across men in the nerd world that are just arrogant or they feel entitled or like if they do have really great accomplishments, that's, they just like want to flaunt that and they don't really care about like what's real. I didn't Mm -hmm. get that from him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He just, he just wanted to be, you know, wanted to talk about things that he was interested in. He wanted to do stuff that he was passionate about and he cared about his friends. Chris and I spent a nice long time talking that night about how like influential he was for little BB Chris mm, wanting yeah. little nerdy BB Chris who wanted to get into science and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he will... he's like a true Southern California Asian. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Like that's a big thing too. Mm-hmm. He embodied that as well. So, I mean, he, he, he much fucking so wouldn't work for ILM. Right. Like, <laughs> he went into the film industry versus going and working for like NASA or something. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, like, you know, there's that whole stereotype of, you know, Asian parents being like, no, go be a doctor or lawyer only <laughs> or, you know, work for NASA. Like, don't, you know, go work in movies. And he did that. And he was on TV yeah. for like a long ass time. Yeah. But doing engineering shit. It's not like he was, right. you know, he was still doing, doing what he really was. cool fucking stuff. Yeah. He will be most dearly missed. It's like Prince, Anthony Bourdain were like some of my biggest influences <laughs> growing up. Like, fuck, man. Oh, and not to mention John Lewis died. 17th. 17th, yeah. Passed away due to cancer, which we knew about. Was that Saturday? No, that was Friday. Oh, okay, Friday. I don't, I don't. Yeah, that yeah. was expected, but it still doesn't make it yeah. easy. Right. So, and then fucking Ted Cruz posted a picture of. No, it was Marco Elijah. Rubio. Oh, yeah, fucking same thing. <laughs> which, like, <laughs> which just makes it funnier. <laughs> same fucking thing, okay. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, posted a picture of him and Elijah Cummings and was like, oh, we're going to miss John Lewis so dearly. It's like, yeah. fucking asshole. Yeah. Wrong black guy. And he made it his profile picture, too. <laughs> so that oh. launched a bunch of memes <laughs> of like, when I die, tell Marco Rubio this was me. Um, <laughs> so I like how I got him and Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. They all look the same. They do. <laughs> all those. Yep. Mm-hmm. All the white men. Oh, so last week was the last week fucking sucked. Um, we're still in a fucking pandemic. Everything sucks right now. I'm not going to lie. But California has closed back down pretty much. I'm 
I am waiting for Illinois to do the same. I've been reading, I guess now my part of my job is reading every district in the county's plans for school because I need to know for my kids. Uh. All of them are trash. <laughs> like, there's no good way to send kids back to school right now. And my thought is just fucking don't. <laughs> Um, pay the parents to stay home right <laughs> like right. it's that easy right <laughs> it's so so easy um Maybe instead of it, like paying all this money to say dhs to portland and all and chicago and all these places use that money to like you know make another relief package for families so they don't have to send their kids to school <laughs> but no some of my kids will be go going to school for like half of the day will have plexiglass around their desk. Um, some of them, their school district said, if you live within 1.5 miles of the school, you will have to walk to school, to and from school. You will not be able to take the bus um, because they can't have more than, I think, 50 people on a bus. Um, but there are only 25 seats on a bus. So that'll be interesting. Everything sucks. Phase two trials completed on some of the vaccines for COVID. <laughs> and if you're a patron, you saw my very pessimistic view of what is going yeah. to happen with that. But it did what it's supposed to do. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think it's necessarily pessimistic as it is realistic. I just have I no think... faith in our government or whatever private entities that they want to contract to disperse this vaccine. I don't have any faith in people to actually get it consistently because it's going to require boosters at this point. <laughs> like, yep. most likely. Yep. At least one booster. I just don't know. <sighs> I had a conversation with my therapist that was just like, how do you feel? And I was like, like I'm dead inside. <laughs> yep. I'm going to have to have that conversation with mine on Thursday. Uh, and she and I started, we started laughing because that's a very me thing to say, but yeah. also it's very real because it's like, you know, this light at the end of the tunnel that we were hoping for, you know, mm -hmm. oh, there's a vaccine coming. I read, of course I read the literature on it from the Lancet and I'm just like, doesn't make me feel better it makes me feel mm -hmm. worse <laughs> yeah oh no yeah so yeah and i mean like then it gets into like it's it's more than likely going to be made inaccessible for large communities of people especially if there is a booster and like keeping track of that is going to be near impossible and <laughs> <sighs> and then the people who are going to be like i have freedom in this country i'm not getting mm -hmm. a Booster, you have to let me go to school. You have to let me go to Baskin Robbins. <laughs> you have to carry my documentation that we're vaccinated and boosted. Uh, like, it's just, I don't know how this is going to work. We, this is okay. One of the problems with having pub a public health system in a democratic country like ours is that we cannot mobilize fast enough for stuff like right. this. This is why countries like China and Taiwan and Korea, I mean, they're, you know, technically republics or democracies, but they have a much, they, they have much more government control right. over things like that. And so that's why they're able to mobilize so quickly. So it's oh. great that we have freedom. I think maybe 
I don't know. Mm. <laughs> well, <laughs> Starting I mean, to they're... think it's not a great thing, but also I don't want our government to have that much control over things here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. There, I don't know the answer, and I don't know. No, I don't know. We have just think... failed massively on multiple <laughs> levels. Yeah, and the rest of the world is laughing at us and feeling sorry for us, and they don't want us anywhere near their country. So nope, nope. No, we were. I was uh, sorry. We're not going into our topic right now sorry <laughs> we keep it's kind of related so <laughs> yeah yeah well we were i was scrolling on facebook the other day i was over at chris's parents because it was his dad's birthday um and we were having a little barbecue out in the backyard and um I was scrolling on facebook and a friend of ours had uh shared something about like filipino americans not being able to go to the philippines right now unless they have dual citizenship which, I mean, makes sense in terms of don't travel. And it's not like we are planning to anyway, but, like, it's kind of, like, an indefinite thing. And we're like, cool, so now we really don't know when we're going to go back to the Philippines because if even Chris can't go, I fucking can't go. Um, Because we had plans for, like, once he was done with nursing school, which should be, like, next May, to try and plan a trip in that winter, but I don't think that's going to be happening even in the next few years. So. (sighs) Me and Billy had, I mean, traveling is like the thing that we kind of look forward to. Like we always Mm -hmm. have a trip planned at least, you know, if not in the near future and like the somewhat near future. And we're always saving for that. And we're always like, I mean, I was like, I was learning Arabic. So I could mm-hmm. read when we went to Morocco, and obviously that's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, and then we wanted to go to Japan, and I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> will that happen in the next 10 years? Who knows? Probably not. I feel right. like at this point, I, don't re- I really don't know. I hope not, but I'm in a mood today, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. I also started a new <laughs> job last week. and Oh, yeah. Was that already last week? Yes, this is my second week of work. Working is stupid. I am so... (laughs) I was literally just thinking about this, of, like, I've known for... We've known forever, but, like, the pandemic is certainly proving it that 40-hour work weeks are ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Shouldn't exist, shouldn't be a thing. Um. But I was like, you know what the fucking dream is? Like, I like my job in that I like serving the population that I serve. I hate working in a corporation. Even if it's a 501 th- or 501c. Like, I don't, I, I hate it. And so the dream is to not work and just work when I want to. Like, see clients um, when I want to. Can I just say the entire time I was unemployed, I did not take Xanax once. And I have taken exactly. it four times since I started work. And right. not necessarily just because it's stressful being back at work. It's because there's there's fuckery mm-hmm. because it's a corporate environment. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's capitalism. And it's putting stress on me to like perform and function at a level that none of us should be doing because of the situation. Mm-hmm. None of us should be doing period, but especially in a pandemic. Yeah. Like that's been my, one of my big things that I've been talking to my therapist about is like, I've, I have such, and this is what's like slowly eating away <laughs> inside of me. I'm having like such cognitive dissonance between like 
I have to work because I have to live. And I also do enjoy parts of my job. Um, But I have to work within a corporation. And I fucking hate capitalism. (laughs) And because of work and because of working for a corporation, that's become who I am. Um, I mean, one of the things I've been struggling with is I'm not sleeping well. And so then I'm sleeping in. So I sleep, I get up, I go to work, I come home, I try to go to bed, I get up, I go to work, and I come home. And so I've just become work. But that goes against every value and belief that I have (laughs) of work does not equal worth. Um, And so that's been a fucking huge struggle. I hate this pandemic. (laughs) I know. I'm so tired, Jess. I feel like I've worked really hard the past at least three years to make sure that work was not my identity. And lately, like, unemployment hard. showed me, like, did I just waste a lot of money on my education? <laughs> because all mm. I want to do is be a housewife with a lot of hobbies. That, right. like, my hobbies are basically, like, you know, based in social justice. <laughs> work are actually work but i'm just like it's i don't call it work right you know like oh god billy can you make more money so i don't have to work anymore please (laughs) this is we just abolish capitalism so we can have a universal basic income and like i don't have to worry about this shit and i can rent is like not so expensive and down the list because there's so many things this is why midwest 2022 needs to happen (laughs) where everyone no jess move to the midwest it's better i can't i have it's good for you dad is never gonna leave so i have to wait until he dies so after my my god dies (laughs) we can talk okay okay um anyway let's talk about healthcare. <laughs> no, but the reason we're all moving to the Midwest is we are either all going to live on a giant farm together or we're going to buy a very fancy house on Lake Geneva or both and just exist. And it's going to be great. So I'm cook for everybody if I move there with you guys. This is what's <gasps> happening. Will you will you cut fruit for me? I will. I cut peaches oh. for Billy today and then he almost left them before he went to work and I was like <gasps> angry with fucker. <laughs> that is your love language. I know. And peaches are fucking annoying to peel. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I woke up at Cutting. seven in the morning to be able to do that. And I have not been waking up at seven in the morning lately. Yeah. <laughs> so. God damn it, Billy. Eat the peaches. That, the fact. But yes, I will cut fruit for you. Aww. And I will I brave the Korean market to go get the fruit to cut for you because holy shit, that was a sh- <laughs> H-Mart was a shit show this weekend. Anyway, oh, but sure. they're being good. They're making you wear, wear plastic gloves inside the store. And oh, they, wow. There's a sign saying, do not touch the fruit. <laughs> Unless you plan to buy it, which everyone ignored, obviously. Right. Because how else are you supposed to know if your fruit is good if you don't touch it? Right. But yeah. Anyway. Anyway, let's talk about healthcare. We're continuing part two of our series on medical racism in in the world, really, but in the United States, because that's what we know where all this data comes from. So last time we talked about like some history with medical racism. We talked about um, James Marion Sims, who is the, considered the far, father of gynecology, who did experiments on black female slaves without anesthesia. Um, and we talked about the Tuskegee 
study of untreated syphilis in African Americans um, that was done by the U.S. Public Health Service, which was a, f- a, f- a f- more fuckery. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about just like the scientific consensus around black bodies and mm-hmm. how they have biological differences from white bodies, which they do not, <laughs> but it was an excuse right. essentially for, you know, for, for a racist society to develop these ideas around um, what, what black bodies were useful for quote. And we also talked about um, Henrietta Lacks, mm-hmm. and the HeLa cell line and every, all the good that that has done and how, no one has gotten reparations for any of these things. And yeah. we talked a little bit about some health disparities in the reproductive realm. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to talk about health, like health disparities relating to chronic issues. So um, I want to put it out there, first of all, that chronic racism, that which is chronic racism, like that is mm-hmm, a fucking mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> like, first of all. It takes a toll on your body. It's stressful. Um, and racism doesn't necessarily come at you in obvious ways. Like, you know, you don't get necessarily called the N-word uh, for a black person and for a Japanese person. That's a different word. But um, <laughs> you don't get called these, like, you know, derogatory terms, like, up front all the time. You don't necessarily, you know, get the shit beat out of you in the street just because you're a certain, you look a certain way. It's microaggressions, really. Any person of color will tell you that. Any black person will tell you that. It's the little things that wear down on you and the systemic things that wear down on you. Like, did I not get called back for a job interview because I'm black? Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, someone made a comment about my hair. Or mm-hmm. someone made a comment about how, look, I'm so tan. I'm almost as dark as you. Things like that. <laughs> the othering the comments that make you feel like you don't belong and you don't deserve to belong. It takes a toll on your body physically. Chronic stress puts you at higher risk. Hypertension, type 2 diabetes. I'm going to say obesity, but that's a whole nother conversation because fat phobia is a huge problem um, uh, in the medical realm and in healthcare, and we are going to have Meg on to talk about fat phobia at some point and diet culture, and we're going to have a whole conversation around that. So I'm going to put obesity in brackets because (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) – but uh, as of today, a lot of people in the medical world think that obesity uh, puts you at risk for other things, so I'm going to add that in there. Uh, Stroke asthma, chronic liver disease, and mental health issues. Um, So you're experiencing chronic stress. It puts your body in a physical flight or fight response. Um, It affects your hormones, which affect everything, every system in your body. And your mental health, which also affects every system in your body. If you have anxiety or depression, you know this. Your digestion changes. <laughs> your If you're right. a woman, your menstruation might change because of anxiety or depression or chronic stress. If you gain weight, if you lose weight, if you have high blood pressure, like all of these things are interconnected. So, uh, something that we talk about when um, talking about like trauma work and stuff like that. Um, is 
<laughs> how much the body keeps score, which is a book. <laughs> um, <laughs> how much uh, trauma takes a physical toll on the body. Like Jess said, you are in a constant state of fight or flight, um, which means your cortisol levels are fucking through the roof. Um, which makes you more susceptible to like chronic pain and, and muscle fatigue and stuff like that. Um, and <sighs> there needs to be a focus and a shift on realizing that racism is trauma. Um, experiencing social injustice is trauma. Being, you know, a victim of systemic racism is trauma. And so all of the stuff that applies with like, oh, this is what happens to the brain and to the body when it comes to trauma is the same for experiencing like chronic racism. I saw a post, Jess, you actually posted, shared this to your Instagram story, I believe. And then I shared it to mine, but it was like, we can put everyone in the world in trauma informed therapy, but as long as our systems remain oppressive, we will only ever be doing damage control. Um, and that's the same when it comes to health issues. It really is interesting how separate mental health has become from medicine mm -hmm. because yeah. it's so interconnected. And I feel like, I mean, my, my um, uh, primary care physician is the one who prescribes me my, um, my psych drugs because my psychiatrist fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, and I feel like he has a good handle on it, but he's a young doctor. Yeah. Um, and he knows the industry that I work in, that I'm very familiar with all this stuff. I'm very informed. And so like we can kind of like have an informed, you know, dialogue about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of doctors that just are like, yeah, I learned like a, a two line, two paragraphs of things on mental health and residency in med school. And that's kind of all I know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they don't yeah. really consider it. They don't take into consideration that it needs to be part of this holistic view of the body mm. and physical. I mean, physical ailments have effects on your mental health mm -hmm. and your mental health has effects on your physical body, which can cause right. physical ailments. It's a big cycle. Mm. It's all interconnected. So it's... That's that's so why my Body friend Anna Marie, yeah, my friend Anna Marie, who I kind of talked about on our last one, she's the one who's fucking crazy and is taking a break from medical school so she can get her law degree. Good God, woman. Um, but she, when we were in undergrad together, she double majored in um, biomedicine or whatever the other one was and psychology specifically for that reason. Um, because so much of mental health gets completely ignored in medicine. They feel so inadequate. I'm the dumbass that like, it's <laughs> like, I'll double major in philosophy. In <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I got my BA in psychology and then my minor in history. So, you know, they would teach their own. The minor was just for funsies. <laughs> yeah, I ended up with physiology and a minor in chemistry, and then the minor in chemistry was included because I had to take so much chemistry for my physiology right. degree. So I didn't have to do well. anything extra for that. But I did take yeah. a lot of philosophy classes because I was very interested in that. Who would have known and who could have guessed, right? Anyway. Uh, Jess? <sighs> interested you? in, you know, I don't have an existential crisis every day? What? Anyway, um, <laughs> going off the rails. <laughs> this is not about me. This is not about... Yeah, our our majors in college. Anyway, anyway. so <laughs> uh, today 
a black woman is 22% more likely to die from heart disease than a white woman. And this is, uh, I believe, regardless of education, educational level. Um, A lot of these statistics were taken from the Health and Human Services site, um, and I'll, I'll give dates as I go down them. Um, and some of them were taken from the CDC. Um, I feel very uncomfortable citing the Health and Human Services website right now just because Health and Human Services is um, a federal arm of whatever administration is in power. Mm -hmm. And so technically they are under the control of Trump at this point. So um, I know that scientists within the HHS like go beyond administration. So a lot of them have been there longer and they're there to do the work that they want to do. They're not necessarily partisan, but still it just, just, you know, (laughs) want to put that out there so that you're aware that I don't think this data is skewed. I'm pretty sure it's not, but just keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's other things going at play in our current society going, you know, considering COVID that um, are dealing with this right now. So um, black people are 60% more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes. Diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, That is if a black person has a doctor, goes to the doctor and gets diagnosed. Um, Diabetes is a silent um, a lot of times there, it's a silent illness and a lot of times there's no symptoms in the early stages of diabetes. Like once you get symptoms, it's kind of like, oh, you're fucked. <laughs> like you should have mm-hmm. like 10 years ago. So these are people that have been diagnosed. It, the, the number is most likely much higher. Anytime you see anything that says like these, this amount of people is diagnosed or this amount of people have been confirmed to have been diagnosed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Assume that the number is higher. Right. Because this is reported cases. Um, black people are twice as likely, twice as likely to die from diabetic complications as white people. These, this data is all from 2019 from the HHS. Black adults are 40% more likely to have high blood pressure. They are less likely than non-Hispanic whites. Uh, to have their blood pressure under control, which means they either uh, are not taking or not on the medication that they need to be on to control their blood pressure, or they're not making lifestyle cha- lifestyle changes to do that, which is a, a doctor-patient relationship issue or an access issue, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we'll get to in a second. Um, In 2017, black people were 20% more likely to die from heart disease than white people. Black women are 60% more likely to have high blood pressure compared to white women. 60%. Yeah. We, you know, in, in healthcare and in medicine, you just learn these statistics and you don't really ask why Mm -hmm. but when you look at this in the context of anti-racism work they the why is very obvious black women are some of the most oppressed marginalized groups of people in the country i think native american women not that we're doing oppression olympics but native american are right up there with them so Mm -hmm. like this is not a surprising statistic 60 percent more likely to have high blood pressure that is 
probably from systemic racism, Mm -hmm. the stress induced on the body from racism and the complications that come from racism, poverty, incarceration, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Black people are 50% more likely to have a stroke or some type of uh, cardio uh, cerebral cerebrovascular disease compared to white people. This is from the CDC. Uh, this is 2020. This is more recent data. Um, black people represent 13% of the U.S. population, but they account for 44% of HIV infection cases. This is in 2016 from the HHS. Mm-hmm. Three times the infant mortality rate as white people. Mm-hmm. Black, black infants are 3.8 times as likely to die from complications related to low birth weight as compared mm-hmm. to white people. Low, worth, low birth weight is associated with maternal stress, usually, right. or some right. type of comorbid. Uh, comorbidity just means like they're, they have uh, health issues in addition to, you know, usually they have been diagnosed with another disease or ailment, including whatever else that you're talking about. So they usually have another comorbidity. Um, like, for example, because of the statistics here, a black woman who's pregnant might already have high blood pressure before she's mm-hmm. pregnant. And so that puts her pregnancy at risk right. already. And so she might have a, she might go into preterm labor, which, you know, usually results in low birth weight, things like that. So um, this is in your realm of, (laughs) (laughs) in 2017, suicide was the second leading cause of death Mm. in black people ages 15 to 24 Mm -hmm. from the CDC. Second leading cause. And so I question this because of the recent quote ruled suicides that have popped up since the protest started um, yeah. from from George Floyd because there were a couple cases in the LA area that were very obvious they were lynchings hmm? and they were ruled as suicides so i question that statistic there was a oh i i was trying to look for a specific statistic but i don't know if I actually put it on. So we try and change up our bulletin boards at work like once a month. It hasn't been going that way right now because who the fuck cares? We're in a fucking pandemic. Um, But I was asked to do the pride bulletin board because I am the most well-versed in LGBTQ plus issues. You can just fuck. Yeah. (laughs) You can just fucking say I'm gay guys. It's okay. Um, But I was like, Fine. You want me to do it? I'm going to do it my way. And only did it about about um, black queer folks and in relation to mental health. And I used, a, let's see, a couple of different resources, but especially like um, the Human Rights Campaign Black and African American LGBTQ Youth Report from 2019 had some really good statistics um, talking about how they are at a much black LGBTQ youth are at a much higher risk for suicidal ideation and attempts as early as high school. Um, And only despite having like similar rates of mental health disparities to white folks, black LGBTQ youth are significantly less likely to receive professional care. So like of the ones that were surveyed um, for their youth report, only 35% of them received counseling in the past year 
So they are far more likely to attempt or complete suicide and yet significant uh, restrictions and access to care, which is kind of like our next point. So those are just a couple disparities as far as like, you know, I mean, HIV and infant mortality aren't necessarily chronic conditions, but a lot of those are. I I just want to say cardiovascular health is the leading cause of death in like human beings in the U.S. Mm -hmm. at this point. And I think that's interesting because usually cardiovascular, I mean, cardiovascular health has a lot of um, like parameters to it. Diet, exercise, you know, uh, stress, heredity, um, how sedentary Mm -hmm. you are, things like that. Um, But stress is a huge factor for that. And Mm -hmm. just seeing the statistics at how elevated they are with black people versus pretty much anybody else in the population, um, but mostly, you know, compared to white people, because that is the, you know, privileged, the most privileged um, position that you could be in, in this Mm -hmm. country. Um, It really, like, really makes you think. And another component to cardiovascular disease is that it's something that you have for the rest of your life. So if you get diagnosed, like if you have a heart attack, you have to be on medication for, and you survive and you do fine mm-hmm. and you don't have any like, you don't end up with congestive heart failure or anything like that. Even if you do end up with congestive heart failure, you have to be on medication for the rest of your life. If you're diagnosed with diabetes, you're on the medication for the rest of your life. If you're diagnosed with high cholesterol, you're pretty much, di- you, you have to be on medication for the rest of your life unless you can get it controlled with diet and exercise, which most people can't do because they're working all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't have time to do shit like that or they don't have the money or the means to change their diet um, because of where they live, things like that, or it's hereditary. Right. So all of these things are connected. Um, also, because healthcare is tied to our work and to our employment, <laughs> um, if you change employers, sometimes you have to change doctors. Or you go a long time without seeing a doctor, maybe because you are unemployed for a short period of time, or you have like a three or a 90 day period where you don't have benefits. And so you don't get those monthly or bi-monthly check-ins with a primary care doctor or a specialist to look at your labs and say, you know, you're not, you're not controlling your illness. You need to like, we need to change your medication or we need to change something. So access is a part of this story. Um, access to healthcare, and but <laughs> the problem in this country is, I think, like I said last episode, is that because our access to care is tied to our income level and our employment, it's steeped in racism because mm-hmm. the system is set up so that black people and people of color are more likely to not have not have higher I- income employment or have steady enough employment or even have employment that offers healthcare. Right. Or even, and if they don't being able to afford that healthcare, not just for them, but for their entire family. So. Right. Um, this is from the Kaiser family foundation from 2019. Um, in some States, black people are almost twice as likely to be on Medicaid than white people. Um, I'm going to say a few things, then I'm going to explain the data around this. In high ratio states, 83% of primary care providers accept Medicaid. In low payment states, 
that number plummeted to just under 60%. That mm-hmm. 60% of doctors that accept Medicaid. Um, when in, I'm talking about high ratio states, that means um, reimbursement rates. So the ratio of doctors that are getting reimbursement from Medicaid. So that means the ratio of doctors that are actually accepting Medicaid patients and are getting reimbursed for those patients. Reimbursement means they're getting paid. So you have Medicaid, you submit a claim to Medicaid. I saw the doctor. This was a, you know, a checkup, (laughs) a physical. Mm. I submit that claim to Medicaid. Medicaid actually pays the doctor. That's what that means. Um, So there is a ratio between Medicaid and non-Medicaid, which usually includes Medicare or some type of employer-provided insurance or Obamacare, things like that. So Medicaid is basically not including any of those things. And Medicaid means you are poor or you meet certain qualifications um, as a uh, disabled individual to be able to accept Medicaid. Or you're old and you need to be in a home. (laughs) (laughs) To put put it really bluntly and like grossly um, because they pay for that. Um, Medicare, right? Hmm? Medicare, no, Medicaid, right? Medicaid, Medicaid pays for um, uh, facility care, like in old age or if you are, you know, severely disabled, where you need constant twenty-four hour care if you qualify for it. I don't. I don't think um, there's something about it. I can remember from doing this in my forensic social work class about like um, assisted living centers not taking Medicaid um, because that way they don't have to be audited by them yeah not all of them do yeah so most and then you most have to pay out of pocket for the most yep. part but some so basically to make it simple when you're 65 you qualify for medicare but you still pay monthly premiums for medicare based off of like multiple factors like your age um certain diagnoses that you have you know uh, pre-existing conditions or whatever um and you can buy secondary insurance so you can buy like blue shield medicare mm-hmm. insurance that will help pay for the extra out-of-pocket costs that medicare doesn't cover mm-hmm. so some of those plans will help pay for assisted living it just kind of depends on like the plan yeah. you know like everything and in insurance yeah. it depends on the plan it depends yeah. on the state you're in too so but for the most part if you don't if i mean if you Aren't obviously are not of age to be on Medicare. Medicaid is mm-hmm. what pays for assisted living. Some some assisted living centers won't even take it. Uh, there are definitely assisted living centers that don't take it because number one, it's very easy to commit fraud on Medicaid mm-hmm. and Medicare accidentally. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, and then you get audited and you're fucked and you owe a bunch. You know you have to pay a bunch of fees or you get shut down or whatever. And then also Medicaid does not pay what you necessarily charge. So let's say like you're a primary, I'll do it really simply. You're a primary care physician and you charge $150 for an office visit. Medicaid might only pay you like 60 bucks and you have no choice but to take that. Oh yeah. So it's really like some, a lot of doctors that don't take Medicaid, it's because it's not worth their time to take Medicaid. They might live in a really expensive city or they might be like 
really high in debt and they'd be like, I can't afford to take Medicaid. Like I have to, I have to pay my bills or I, you know, you work in a specialty that has high overhead and you have, you have to have a lot of staff and a lot of equipment, you know, Mm -hmm. out the gate and you're trying to maintain, I mean, a lot of doctors have to be business owners as well as physicians, which sucks. Right. Um, and so they have to think about things like that. And so, I mean, some offices will only take a certain percentage of Medicaid. They'll only take like, you know, 25 to 30%. Um, and some offices have no choice because of the area that they live in or that they, yep. that they, that they practice in. They have to take a lot of Medicaid because that's what's there. So yep. we get paid dick all for Medicaid. That's, um, that's normal. I think we, <laughs> we make like maybe $2 an hour, like for an hour long session off of Medicaid clients. Um, but I think the only reason that we're able to do it is because we are large enough. Um, and because we are the only place, at least in my County that will for sure take Medicaid. Also, um, a lot of pediatric care is paid through Medicaid. So that's also probably a component of that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, cause there's things like all kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's, I, I forget this, the exact statistic. I used to know this, but I think it's like a third of kids nationwide are covered under Medicaid mm-hmm. for the, you know, for their first like 10 or 12 years of their life. Yeah. Something um, like that. Yeah. Had it ever been like a ward of the state at some point, like you have Medicaid for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so going back to this like ratio of like mm-hmm. reimbursement with um, Medicaid um, versus uh, physicians that do not accept Medicaid. Um, this trend is true for pediatricians. So 81.6% versus 76%. So that means 81.6% accepted Medicaid. Um, general surgeons, or no, wait, didn't accept Medicaid. That's 76% that did. General surgeons, 97.5 versus 82.9. OBGYNs, 91% versus 73%. So there's a disparity already there where less physicians accept Medicaid already. Mm-hmm. And it's a cost issue because healthcare is a for-profit business. Right. It's a for-profit enterprise in a lot of cases. And um, Medicaid is reimbursed through state-sponsored programs. So mm-hmm. the federal government doesn't necessarily pay the doctors. The federal government gives money to states who sign up for a certain amount of Medicaid care and Medicaid reimbursement, and then the state Medicaids pay their doctors, and the state Medicaids have a lot of control over, like, drug formularies and and what type of, um, like, procedures are covered and the income levels and things like that. And so what the Affordable Care Act did is it gave an option for states to opt in for extra funding for a variety of things. Um, and a lot of states decided not to take that extra funding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. um, so they have less money to give out to physicians and they restrict more medical procedures and prescriptions because of that, which is bad for access because most of the people that use Medicaid, as you saw, are black people twice as likely mm-hmm. to be on Medicaid than white people? And I'm not even talking mm-hmm. about any other types of marginalized groups here. We're just talking about black people. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's not including all the other brown people that uh, that are involved and the disabled people as well. 
So basically what all of these statistics are telling you is that physician access is limited, especially primary care. Um, and that means if there is one doctor that accepts Medicaid in your town of like, maybe you have a, a town with 10 doctors, there's four doctors that accept Medicaid. Mm-hmm. They have very few hours in the day for you to come in and get an appointment. And if you're a patient that has a chronic condition, you need to come in pretty often to have your right. labs checked, um, to go over and see, you know, if your medication is working, if your diet and exercise plan or lifestyle changes are working, if you need to meet with like a nutritionist or a dietitian, things like that. Um, or if you need some type of, you know, a, a specialist to come in, to step in, which specialists are, it's even harder to get access to them because a lot of specialists do not accept Medicaid. Right. And so this all equals to there's less doctors available with less time for patients that the types of patients that need to see these doctors have more chronic ailments because of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And there's less money all around in all of this, <laughs> which shouldn't even be on the table. <laughs> right. We're talking about the health of people. Um, the other problem is that medical students begin their career with biases that black people feel less pain and have thicker skin than white people. And this is a holdover from the the, the, those times in slavery when those medical journals were coming out saying there are all these wild things about, you know, the differences in black people and how, oh, their respiratory, you know, tract mm -hmm. needs hard work, hard labor. That's all they're good for. Things like that. And so already you're starting out with a population of med students that are going to go into the field with these biases. And one of the big issues with this, and, and this is outcomes that we've seen and we have statistics for, is that Black patients are less likely to receive pain medication, and they're less likely to be believed that they're in pain. I remember I worked in the ER, and there was a woman that was in there for a sickle cell crisis. Basically, sickle cell, um, your red blood cells are shaped like sickles, and they can, if when you're having a sickle cell crisis, the, the blood cells get trapped in your joints because mm -hmm. they don't move the same way through your vessels. And so they can like build up and it causes inflammation. It causes a lot of pain in your joints. So when you're having a crisis, you need pain medication and there's kind of nothing you can do <laughs> to get an mm -hmm. IV of fluid and just let it pass. Yep. Um, I'm sure there's other, there's medications that can, you know, be administered as well, but I'm not an expert in sickle cell, so I don't know them. But um, I remember this woman came in and she apparently had sickle cell crises all the time and she was always in the ER for pain and they would restrict her pain medication mm -hmm. because they were like, Oh, she's just a drug sicker. I'm like, she's having a sickle cell crisis. Right. <laughs> like, and if she has them often, that just means she has sickle cell anemia and she has it. She has crises often. Like, right. It's not an excuse to not give her pain medication. <laughs> like if a white person, I mean, white people don't necessarily get sickle cell anemia because it's a, it's a hereditary, um, like, actually beneficial mutation uh, to um uh fuck to uh malaria <laughs> like if a white person came in with a sickle cell crisis that would not be the case they would get pain medication even if they came in like twice a month 
Mm -hmm. The other thing that is a factor with access um, is two thirds of black people have a full-time worker in the family, but they are 70% more likely to be in a lower wage job that does not provide health insurance. So they're going to be on Medicaid if they're in a state where their income allows them to qualify for Medicaid or they have to buy insurance through Obamacare, which is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Even if you get subsidies. I was getting subsidized when I was a waitress and I was still paying $300 a month <laughs> in premiums. <laughs> That's with a subsidy. <laughs> and I was mm -hmm. making less than $50,000 a year. <laughs> ah. Um, it's not just, this is all connected. It's a cycle. You need a job to get health insurance in this country, or you need to be poor enough <laughs> to get on Medicaid. If you're on Medicaid, you don't have access to physicians and you're more likely to have these systemic issue, these, the, uh, well, systemic bodily issues, um, that are caused by stress that are caused by systemic racism. And in most cases, you need some type of education to get a job that allows you to get health insurance, to be like a white collar worker. Um, and a lot of black people come from school districts that are underfunded because school districts and schools in general get money from property taxes, which is a, <sighs> is a whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, I highly recommend uh, watching the uh, documentary Teach Us All. I think it's still on Netflix. Lots of insight into the educational system in this in the U.S. and funding and things like that. But anyway, um, so a lot of Black people are more likely to be to come from underfunded schools um, because many Black people are below the national poverty level, even if they're employed full time, <laughs> and mm -hmm. they live in areas where the less money from property taxes are coming in because they don't own property. Right, they're renting. And I'm sure, like our listeners have heard the term "school to prison pipeline." Mm -hmm. Um, basically that is a system that starts off young black kids in preschool into being disciplined more severely than their white counterparts. And this leads to them going into juvenile hall. Yep. Essentially. Um, once they get a record, they're more likely to be imprisoned in their adult life and to be imprisoned for felonies. And guess what? felons are less likely to be hired because there's that mm -hmm. box that you have to check on that job application saying, have you been convicted of felony? Mm -hmm. um, so if you can't get a job because you're a felon, you might live in poverty and you will not have health insurance, at least not employer provided health insurance. And in some cases, there are certain crimes that if you've been convicted of, they prohibit you from enrolling in Medicaid. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so not only are you unfairly put into this system that makes you more likely to become a felon because of how everything is set up, but you don't even have access to government-provided health care, and you can't afford to get access to employer-provided health care because of this system. So if you do have health insurance, if you're lucky enough to be in a profession where health insurance is a benefit that you get from your employer, or if you are able to get on Medicaid because you're not a felon, you're less likely to believe, be believed about your health 
by your doctor or being t- be taken seriously by your doctor and your health outcomes regardless are significantly worse than other racial groups. And so these health outcomes, diabetes, type 2 diabetes, because type 1 is a completely different disease, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure, and various other cardiovascular diseases, they result in complications if you do not have them under control. In diabetes, um, I'm just going to talk about diabetes because that's where I have more experience. Um, You can have renal failure, which means you have to be on dialysis. You know, some patients once a week, twice, three times a week, if it's really bad, it's because your kidneys don't work. They don't filter your blood. And so you have to have a machine do it for you. And that's very expensive. Um, You might also have diabetic neuropathy, which means your nerves are not working as well. (laughs) And usually that happens in your extremities. So you might injure yourself and not feel pain. And then because of all the sugar in your blood, you are more likely to get infections. And this is when you have to have limbs amputated because you don't feel the pain. You don't realize you have an infection. And then also you're more likely to get an infection because of your, your disease. Right cardiovascular outcomes as well. It's like high blood pressure, you're more at risk for a stroke. Um, You're more at risk for heart attack, for uh, deep vein thrombosis, things like that. And these are things that require expensive procedures, surgeries, hospitalizations. These are expensive complications. So there's more money being spent on your medical bills because you didn't have the access to care to control your disease to control your illness Mm -hmm. that was caused by systemic racism and stress in your body (laughs) that was no fault of your own there's research out there that i mean it's relatively new research so but there's research out there that kind of suggests that we pass down trauma from Mm -hmm. generation to generation through epigenetics Mm -hmm. um your um your dna becomes methylated that, yep. uh, when you experience trauma, certain parts of your DNA, which can be passed down. Mm-hmm. Like they've, they did like research on uh, children of, of Holocaust survivors um, where, and found that like uh, there were changes, there's epigenetic changes on a gene that controls cortisol levels, which are your stress hormones um, and making them more likely to be more stressed um there's also been like other studies on on uh descendants of people who have survived like famines and stuff like that and those descendants are more likely to um well the way they put it was have a higher body mass um they're more likely to be fat (laughs) plated simple um so like you know and there's a lot of evidence that um this happens obviously in black folks too because black americans that's their entire american experience is fucking trauma and so this gets passed down to the kids and then the kids are exposed really early to having these issues if they make it past infancy because of the awful pre and postnatal care that we provide black folks. So it's, it's a never ending circle. <laughs> so another part of that circle 
is that healthcare is a for-profit industry in this country, as is most drug research, <laughs> because drug uh -huh. research and just therapeutic research in general is very expensive. Clinical trials are extremely expensive. And our government does not allocate enough money to scientific research to fund clinical trials. That's just... We would rather give money to the police forces and to military spending than we would to scientific research. And it is mm. an astronomically <laughs> different amount. <laughs> um, so part of that is that doctors are not monetarily incentivized to treat low income or very sick patients. Um, and this is kind of a disgusting reality of what it means to be a doctor. Uh, you go to med school, you have a lot of student loans, most likely six figure student loans, if not more, you have to pay those. <laughs> and you also have to pay to live and survive and possibly do continuing education. And you have to make money to do that. One of the reasons why, uh, you know, being a doctor is such like a, a prized, you know, profession in this country is that it requires a lot of education. And so the expectation is that you're going to be paid for that because it costs a lot of money for you to get that education. Um, right. Same with like lawyers and things like that. Um, it, it, the education is very expensive. Um, and so if you're a young doctor that's just out of residency, you have a lot of med medical school debt. Mm -hmm. And you need to make as many bonuses as you can so you can keep paying off that debt. And like, you're probably not going to treat those low income patients or the patients that are very sick. Um, so bonuses vary depending on like health groups that you're a part of or like certain insurances that you take, things like that. But um, they can include productivity. So that's the number of patients that you see per day. Mm -hmm. Um I know some doctors and health groups that have to, they, they only get 15 minute slots for <laughs> return patients and they get 30 minute slots for brand new patients. If you have a diabetic patient that um, their medication is not working for them and they need to be put on a new medication, that appointment can take easily 45 minutes, especially if it's insulin because it's a very, insulin is dangerous. You can die if you take too much. So you right. need to be coached and, and counseled on how to take that safely. And that takes time. <laughs> so yep. why would you take patients that need insulin? Got to meet your productivity quotas. <laughs> Can't deal with that. So I'm not going to take these patients. They can go to somebody else, but those are most likely the more sick patients. Um, they're also bonused on outcomes for chronic ailments. So if you have, di again, I'm going with diabetes because that's what I know. Um, mm -hmm. Diabetes uh, a lot of times is graded on your A1C. And that is basically an average of your blood sugar level over 30 days or sorry, 90 days. So it's like a three month average. Um, so the lower you get that A1C, there's a certain range that you need to have that A1C at for your diabetic patients in order to be for them to be considered controlled. So you have to have a certain amount of controlled patients. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, if you have patients that are not controlled, you can be like, this isn't working out. I don't feel like you're doing enough. You're not taking your medication properly. You're not listening to me. I'm going to refer you to another doctor. I'm not going to accept you anymore. They can, uh -huh. doctors do that all the time. Oh yeah. Also, they uh, get bonused based on revenues from lab or imaging sources. So 
you know, depending on the health system you're in, you know, the more labs you send out or the more ultrasounds or the more MRIs or CT scans that you have your patients go through, you get money for that. There's something called capitation, which is basically a ratio of payers, uh, which is you know, a ratio of treatment costs, essentially. So if you have treatment costs that are higher, but you balance it out with more patients that are on treatment costs that are lower, you get more, you get bonus more. Um, and this relates to drugs because it, a lot of pharmacists and doctors have to deal with capitation where they have a certain ratio of generic drugs that they have to prescribe versus branded drugs. The problem is if you have a lot of patients that are very sick and there's no generic option <laughs> in the drugs that they need to take, you're kind of fucked. <laughs> like you yeah. have to prescribe these patients, these branded drugs, because that's all that's available because the drug companies can put patents on these drugs for, you know, eight, nine, 10 years, depending on what it is. They get exclusivity on that because it's profit based. Yep. <laughs> the whole system. And, you know, going off of that drug and biotech companies make money off of people that are sick. You know, yep. chronic illnesses that um, keep you on chronic medication. The longer you're on that chronic medication, the more money they make. Same thing with like devices, things like that. Um, hospitals make money <laughs> off, of people, off of people being sick, believe it or not, um, unless they're a nonprofit. Uh, but a lot of the nonprofit hospitals are usually uh, religiously affiliated. And that is a whole different set of problems because they like to impose their religious morals and beliefs on patients and yep. patient care, which means a lot of Catholic hospitals will not do abortions. And then also there's insurance companies and pharmacy benefits managers that uh, essentially are insurance for your pharmacy benefits. Um, those are middlemen and they bloat the costs of medications and treatments because they take a cut <laughs> of everything. So all of this is connected. And we talk about like the prison industrial complex and how we need to, you know, that's part of abolition, how we need to abolish not only law enforcement, but the prison industrial complex, because that's part of it. The school to prison pipeline is part of that. The healthcare industrial complex is also a part of this, but it is such a huge for-profit industry as a whole. I think I saw like projections that if we try to completely eliminate insurance companies and PBMs, it would crush mm -hmm. the world economy because there's so much money and so many jobs tied up in that right now. That's just as one country. Right. That is way too much financial power. Right. For one industry. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry, but that's, <laughs> that's terrifying that we cannot get rid of this industry because it would crash the world economy. So it has to be done in increments so that we don't stress the economy. <laughs> Lord. It's fucking terrifying. And honestly, a lot, a lot of experts kind of don't know how to address all of this except for just doing everything all, uh, all at once because mm -hmm. Doing it in increments isn't enough, and there's too many people that are not being taken care of in the healthcare system that are going to not fare well 
if we decide to start pulling certain things out of healthcare. Mm -hmm. You know, where there's already a shortage of shortage of doctors, of primary care doctors, because there's not enough money there. There's a shortage of nurses and nursing assistants because there's not enough money there and mm -hmm. the work is hard. Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to how to fix any of this, but it's a, it is a part of our racist system in the world. And if we are abolitionists and we are for abolition, this is, a, this is another system that needs to be looked at and needs to be dismantled. Right. And we need health care for all. Like, if you say Black Lives Matter and you don't believe in free health care for all or government paid health care for all, you don't mm -hmm. really believe Black Lives Matter based off of all this right. information. That should not be a radical statement at this point. Um, I have a list of some further reading you can do. And I will put these in the show notes so you can find them. Uh, I think I mentioned one of them already, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Sklute. Um, the other ones are Medical Apartheid by Harriet A. Washington. Um, she is a black author. I think there's only one person here that is not a black author. I tried really hard to only put black authors here. Black and Blue by John Hoberman. He is a white person. But that talks about like policing and healthcare, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is, he, he was, there was, uh, controversy around his one of his previous books because he was basically like, yo, you racist. And the people <laughs> that were in establishment were like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> so wait, I didn't want to be racist. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like it's probably okay. Anyway, um, another one is called Reproduct Reproductive Injustice, Racism, Pregnancy, and Premature Birth by uh, uh, Dana and Lewitt. D oh my God. Dana Ein Davis, <laughs> the beer and the wine is catching up to me. Um, <laughs> the next one is Fearing the Black Body, Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. You should also read that in preparation for our fat phobia episode <laughs> and diet culture episode, as you should read Sonia Renee Taylor's The Body is Not an Apology. The next book is Breathing Race into the Machine, The Surprising Career of the Spirometer from Plantation to Genetics by Lindy Braun. The spirometer is a machine that rev that that uh that tests and records your pulmonary function. That is directly related <laughs> to oh, what Lord. we learned last episode. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> in that black people are more suited for outside labor because uh, their lung capacity is reduced and they can be strengthened through hard labor. Whew. The next, the last book that I have on here is called Just Medicine, A Cure for Racial Inequality in Amer American Healthcare by Dana Matthew. This is a heavy, hard topic because in prison abolition, I feel like there's a lot of experts that like have like, you know, steps to like what we can do <laughs> and like, mm -hmm. you know, tangible things that we can do. I feel like healthcare is such a huge monster to tackle yeah. from so many angles. It's like, where do we start and how far do we go? And you know, there's a lot of money here. And so there's going to be a lot of pushback and it's going to be an all out war to get mm -hmm. change to happen in this industry. Big Pharma, 
biotech, insurance, PBMs. Um, these industries have some of the highest paid CEOs in, in, in the world. They make a lot of money and they have a lot of uh, lobbyists in Congress to prevent change from happening. Um, California had a bill on the floor um, basically to price cap drugs. And guess who swooped in? Drug lobbyists mm -hmm. swooped in and prevented that from being passed. In California, that is considered mm -hmm. a liberal state um, and has done, you know, a lot of good things on, you know, Medi-Cal and Medicaid to, to make sure people have care. I mean, yeah. as much as they can in a, in a racist system. Um, one last point I want to make is that I feel like, Abby, you and I are like, okay, we're trying to convince people to just care about other people. <laughs> like, the, the <laughs> uh -huh. I feel like a lot of us are kind of reeling around that right now. It's like all of this just basically boils down to having empathy and caring about other people. It's not mm -hmm. that hard to do. But no. even if we cared about each other and we wanted to take care of each other, the system is still, still set up to fail black people. It is still set up so that their health outcomes will be worse than white people because it's a system and it's a racist system. And so that's why it needs to change. It needs systemic change. It does the intentions of the people that are in this. I mean, God, doctors, like you think of doctors as like the most empathetic people that you can in nurses. <laughs> Not really, but you think of them as like, hey, the doctors and nurses are actually going out and like spending lots of money on their education to help people because they care and they want to make a difference. Yet this system is fucking racist as hell. <laughs> Right. And people die because of the system that they that they put themselves into. So it doesn't matter. There's a fucking spider on my computer. Hold on. <laughs> Abort. Um Okay, it's small. It's going in my pens. Great. I won't be touching my pens for a week. Um <laughs> But yeah, so it it doesn't matter the intentions of the people that are working in the system. They might be doing it for good reasons. Also, I know a lot of doctors and nurses that are absolute trash and are fucking racist as hell, and they should not be working in this industry, but they do. Um, so it doesn't matter. Um, it needs to change because it's a system that, that sets Black people up for failure and for death and for poor health outcomes. I hate everything. I know. When you like start looking at this from kind of a bird's eye view, you realize how big it is and you just feel so small and helpless it just makes you mm -hmm. fucking depressed and you're like why live <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> <That's an SI. laughs> yeah. and you think like as one person like what can i even do to change anything this is mm -hmm. one i mean this is just healthcare. we're dealing with police violence state sanctioned violence the prison industrial complex uh, right. Education, <laughs> like everything, every single thing that we entertainment, you know, something that's mm -hmm. you know our podcast is kind of based off of. Like, it's disheartening, but also yeah. I think we can use it as a motivator to be like, okay, where is my niche in this? Where can I make a difference? Mm -hmm. What am I good at? Because if there's racism everywhere, there's something you're good at that you can affect <laughs> right. if you want to do it for a job or a career. 
Um, And even just as a human being, there's things that you can do, you know, civically, calling, Mm -hmm. writing, protesting, rioting, burning Mm -hmm. shit down. (laughs) If you're a nurse or some type of medical practitioner, there are um, medic collectives out there that need healthcare providers that have training um, to help protesters um, that are victims of police violence on the streets when they're protesting. You know, if that's something that you feel like you don't feel comfortable doing, you know, other things in, in social justice, maybe that is a place that you can make a difference. Mm-hmm. There's a niche for everybody. Yes. The revolution is for everybody. Yes. <sighs> Find your spot. Find your spot and get work and hot and dig in because that is going to be a long road. Yep, we are, we are fixing the ditch, y'all. Yeah, we are no longer just pulling people out of it. We're fucking mm. fixing it. Mm-mm. <laughs> okay, it's a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know. know. I don't know what our plans are for our next episode. Um, if... maybe we'll have Sarah. Maybe we yeah, won't. maybe it was Sarah. Um, I mean, we we have bounced back and forth actually um, in in our text messages of like, oh, hey, actually, we could ask this person on to talk about this. Um, so we have some Star Wars ideas of episodes that we want to do. I don't. I think it's just a matter of when we'll do them because I mean, the past couple of weeks, as we've talked about, are just like who fucking cares right now. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to devote mental energy to Star Wars, at least for me right now. Um, I think because of all of this and also because my ADHD hyperfixation is solely on Avatar right now (laughs) and nothing else. Um, so we'll see. Could be another uh, episode about racism. Could be about Star Wars. Could be about both. I would like to point out that I was looking at our downloads data the other day. Mm -hmm. Our downloads have gone down since we have stopped talking about Star Wars and we have started talking about racism, which I find very interesting. Imagine that. that. (laughs) I want to give some credence to the fact that it is a pandemic and people are not like working or commuting. And that's a a place that a lot of people listen to podcasts. I know that's me for sure. So I've been listening to less podcasts. So that is probably a factor. But also, I see you. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. But yeah, downloads have definitely gone down since. I understand. We're a Star Wars yeah, podcast yeah. and we're not really talking about Star Wars, but also there's no Star Wars to talk about right now unless you want us to talk right. about the sequel trilogy, which we're just going to shit on. So <laughs> <laughs> we could do an episode on that if you want, but. <laughs> we necessarily shit on the entire time, but. Uh. <laughs> I do for the most part like the sequel trilogy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was just setting the expectations to be very I know. <laughs> Also, I do want to point out that in June, one of our top ten most downloaded episodes was a Rose Till Christmas Day episode. <laughs> Two Rose Till Christmas Day episodes were our most downloaded. <laughs> <laughs> In June, uh, one was the Carol episode, and then the other was on A Christmas Prince. And so it sounds like people are looking for some happiness. Um, I mean, um, I don't yeah, mind I get them. It. <laughs> yeah. um, Emma and I, I don't... Well, 
July is almost over uh, and I am mentally ill, but I know Emma and I really wanted to do a Christmas in July special. So keep eyes peeled for that question mark or like a Christmas in July special that will come out in August. I don't know. <laughs> um, it was really on brand for us, to be honest. Yeah. And you guys. Yeah. So, I mean, that uploads to our feed. So be on the lookout for that if you want some stupid Christmas shit. Um, but otherwise uh, y'all can find us on Twitter at LBTpod you can send us an email lousybeautifultownpod at gmail.com please rate and review us on iTunes because that or Apple Podcasts or whatever the fuck it is um, because it does help get our pod out to more listeners um, and especially with some of the things that we've been talking about the past couple of episodes they're really important and even though People are like, man, your Star Wars podcast. I don't want to listen to you talk about how Black Lives Matter. Fuck off. Yeah. But <laughs> people people need to hear that shit. Um, so please rate and review us. We haven't gotten a review since February. <laughs> oh, shit. That's a long time. <laughs> I know. I just <laughs> checked. And I was like, kind of when the pandemic was like ramping yeah, up. That kind of makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. But leave us a review. We thrive off of external validation, and I am contractually obligated to read every five-star review that also, is left. if you guys don't don't start leaving reviews, we're going to start calling people out by name that we know listen to this <laughs> podcast to leave a review. So if you don't want to be called out, we've yeah. already called out like three people so far to leave <laughs> reviews. We will keep going. <laughs> I called out Lynn and Danny in my own house. Yeah. And I called I like, out uh, James and Justin. <laughs> James left a review. Like, I was like, you fucks. I have left reviews on your podcast and you have yet to leave one on mine. So we will continue that if you don't want to be called out. <laughs> don't think we won't. Mm-mm. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Abby M. Cecilia. Jess, where can they find you? You can find me at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess. I have just discovered that someone thinks that my name is Space Jesus. Because <laughs> Daniel Dade Kim now knows who I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. I to Brooklyn. Good yeah. Lord. <laughs> yeah. Space yeah. Jesus, actually. Cool. <laughs> Space oh, Jesus. God. <laughs> have you met my friend Space Jesus? <laughs> oh, all right. Good night from me and Space Jesus. Can I be Space Judas? (laughs) Yes, please. And betray you? (laughs) Okay. You still have Snapchat. (laughs) Yes, I still. Shut the fuck up!